book of Deuteronomy, the sixth chapter. It's a great read for, for parents, but Scripture says, chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, says, Now this is the command, the statutes and the ordinances that the Lord your God charged me, Moses is speaking here, to teach you to observe in the land that you're about to cross into and occupy so that you and your children and your children's children may fear the Lord your God all the days of your life and keep all his decrees and his commandments that I am commanding you so that your life will be long. Today I want to talk about parenting. (laughs) You never know what's going to happen as a parent, right? Or as a pastor. But uh, parents, I I want to ask you, do you you realize that God has put in your power to change generations? Generations. I want you to think about that. Deuteronomy 6 uh, says that there are two things as parents that that we absolutely have to build into who we are. They're they're principles for for parenting. As as parents, we are to help our children. We're to help our children move from what I would say is dependency upon us as parents to ultimately dependency upon God. That's our call as parents. That's what we're, we're to do. And I believe that our priorities have to be twofold. And the first is, as parents, we are to love God with all of our hearts. Deuteronomy 6 goes on in uh, verses 4 and 5, and it says, Maybe. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with what? All your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. I want you to notice what that doesn't say. It doesn't say with some of your heart. It doesn't say with a little bit of your heart, with a a tiny percent of your heart. It says we're to love God with what? All our heart. I believe one of the most dangerous things that we can do as parents is love God a little bit. How many of you know how a flu shot works? I mean, basically, actually, what they're doing is they're injecting you with a small amount of the flu. And so that that small amount, that small exposure, immunes you to the whole flu. And here's what I would argue. That as parents, I think unknowingly, what we do sometimes is we give our children a little dose of God. And by giving them just a little dose of God... We make them immune to God. I want you to think about that. Because what we do is, by giving them a little dose, we deprive them 
of all the benefits of God's goodness and God's power and God's ways. And it's not surprising since parents just get a little dose of God. It's not surprising that they don't love God with all their heart. That they don't have a intimate, ongoing, life-changing relationship with God. And I don't think it's on purpose. I think as parents, we, we start out with good intentions, and then we get distracted. You know, we start out uh, wanting to provide for our children. And so in our mind, we're kind of thinking, I can give my kids more than I had. That'll make a difference. That'll make a real difference in their life. And so what do we do? We, we work more so we can get more because we want to provide. And, and then we kind of amp things up and we go, well, I want to give my kids more opportunities than I had. And so we start loading up their schedule. We, we get them in soccer and baseball and gymnastics and ballet and the list goes on and on. And then we start organizing, in fact, reorganizing our lives around that stuff. And we get so busy, and I hear it often from parents, and they'll say, I can't even breathe. I don't know which way's up anymore. And before you realize it, as a parent, you have become a child-centered parent instead of a God-centered parent. And so parents, i got to ask today, do you love God with all your heart? Or do you love God with some of your heart? Because just a little bit of God is not what your kids need. They need the full counsel of God. And we talked a little bit last week, but what does your life say? As you look around your home, what does your life say? What does your calendar say? What does your Blackberry say? What's your browsing history on the computer say? What's your reading material say? What's your bank and credit cards say? You know, what, what does your priorities say about where the heart is? Do all of those things say that God is who you love with all your heart? And I'm not asking you what you say you think. I'm not asking you what you hope those things say or what you pretend that they say. I'm asking you to truly assess what does your life really say? What does it say to your children? Because I believe the best thing that you can possibly do for your children is love God with all your heart. This is core. This is core. Parents, you are called by God to love God. Are you loving God with all your heart? And the second thing that I believe as parents that we're called to, especially out of the scripture, and that is parents are to lead. Many of you, you lead in whether it's business or maybe you lead in a social setting or political setting, maybe as a volunteer or recreational setting. Some of you lead in ministry here here at the church. And many of you have been successful at that. But I believe the most transcendent leadership challenge that you will ever face 
is the challenge of parenting. And so I wonder as you look at your parenting today, how are you doing? Are, are you succeeding as a parent? Where, where are you failing as a parent? Does it feel like mission impossible or does it feel like mission possible in your life? Because I believe God's word tells us over and over that if we are to be successful as parents, it will come not by the, the big leadership wins that tend to uh, kind of uh, typify our occupational world. But it comes from daily leadership in your family. By constantly exercising leadership in your family. By uh, applying all the creative might that you might put into a job or a hobby or whatever. that you, You have to center yourself. And say, I'm going to lead. Scripture tells us how to do that. It says, these commands that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Here we go. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. To put it another way, God says that parents, every time you get a chance to lead your children, make sure it happens. It takes time, it takes intentionality, it takes applying everything that you know about leadership. It takes bringing into focus every single arena of parenting. You know, parents are are to lead their children. You're to lead them in every way. You know, help them understand how they're created, help them understand how to navigate life. You're to to lead your your children spiritually. You know, that's why we're always saying around here, be here on a regular basis. Get your children plugged into the zone and the the youth opportunities. need to make it a priority. I was reading a a recent study. It's sobering. It it was sobering when when I finished reading it because basically it was talking about Children that that grow up and as adults, that they actually are fully devoted Christ followers. And they were looking at how does that happen and what's what's happening when when they're little that brings them to that point. And here's what they found out in that study. They said that if both mom and dad attend regularly that about 72% of those children grow up to have a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, and they they put God in the proper perspective. They said that if only one parent comes to church, that about 25% of those children grow up to be growing in, in their faith as adults. If neither parent goes to church, it drops to 6%. So no parents go to church, but 6% of those children will become fully devoted Christ followers as adults. Here's the sobering part. If parents attend sporadically, and by sporadically, it's, you know, every couple months, hit and miss, get this, 5% of those children will become fully devoted Christ followers. Think about that. You're better off if mom and dad don't go to church. 
Why is that? Well, friends, I think it's back to the loving God with all your heart. I think children look and they go, we say God's important, but it doesn't really sync up with what I'm seeing. It's not all that important. And what I want to say is it does a ton of damage. Leading spiritually is not just something you do on the weekend, but you've got to begin there. But it's something you do 24-7 as a parent. Parents, you're called by God. You're called by God to lead. And, And my question is, are you leading? Are you leading your children, or are they leading? You know, are you leading them spiritually? Are you setting the tone? Are, are you really leading them? Because it's vital. Remember several years ago, I was reading uh, Fortune uh, 500 magazine, had a cover article that was called Why Grade A Execs Get F's as Parents. And they were talking about how messed up uh, children get because parents are really good in the marketplace but awful as parents. And the gist of the article was that some of the very characteristics that kind of help us succeed in the marketplace cause us to fail with our children. You know, things like uh, working long, hard hours works really well at work. Uh, Having very exacting standards, uh, keeping tight control on things, refusing to tolerate mediocrity, demanding excellence from, from employees and, and so on, that, that plays well at work. But at home, there's this kind of messy inexactness, right? How many parents? True? You know, you, you need a, a, a soft side and a hard side to face the challenges of parenting. We need to learn how to lovingly nurture our children to maturity in life and also in faith. And kind of in a nutshell, the article was saying leadership in the marketplace is radically different from leadership at home. Not long ago, I was talking to a mom and she, she leads a large group of employees very good at what she does. And she was talking to me about being, being a mom and just said, you know, Damon, I don't quite understand this, but she says, I'm very effective at work. And she says, and then I come home and I'm dazzled and confused by my eight-year-old. She goes, how can, how can I be so effective at work and fail so miserably at home? It's a tough one, isn't it? But leadership's different. I think one of the most effective leaders in history was King David. David led the the people of Israel. He was a remarkable military leader. He was a world-class politician. He was a brilliant diplomat. He, He provided very sound economic leadership for the country. He was a pioneer when it came to construction and infrastructure development of Israel. He was avant-garde for the arts and education. And he was an amazingly strong spiritual leader to the people of Israel. 
And that, that list of his leadership could go on and on. But what I find interesting is David's leadership octane that he had outside the home was clearly exceeding his effectiveness in his home. In fact, if you know anything about David's family life, his relationship with his son Absalom, let's just say it was, it was a miserable failure. I mean, David broke his son's heart. He, he broke it so badly that Absalom would spend most of his life full of rage, full of resentment, trying to figure out a way to get even with the man that damaged him. And it, as I read the story through the years, I always come to a place where it's like, how does this happen? Why this dichotomy in, in his life? Why is it that we can set these leadership records outside of our homes and wind up breaking the hearts of sons and daughters? You know, the in Scripture it, the instruction is specifically to fathers, but I, I think it applies to all parents. Paul writes this in Ephesians 6, 4. He says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. In other words, don't push them to hostility. Don't push them to anger. Don't push them to, to hatred and rebellion but lovingly lead them, lead them to maturity, lead them to a genuine faith in in God and in Jesus Christ. And so here's a question that I think we have to answer. How could a guy like David, how could a guy with such leadership outside the home, how could he end up being such a colossal failure with his son? You know, I believe if you read the the biblical account, very quickly you figure out some things that just really went awry for David. David only made a few parenting mistakes. He did most of it right. But the few mistakes that he made, they were the huge consequence ones. And that's what I want to look at with the remainder of our time is a couple mistakes he made. So that maybe as parents... We could avoid making those same mistakes. And the first mistake David made is what I'll call the mistake of abandonment. Now, I'm not just talking about where someone physically abandons a child, uh, where we run off and never come back. See, abandonment can happen even if you're physically present. It is entirely possible for you to be geographically close to your children and at the same time emotionally distant from them. Author Norman Wright uh, talks about that kind of parenting, and he uses the phrase phantom fathers or phantom parents. Parents whose conversations with their children are kind of clipped and superficial. Uh, Parents whose best energies are diverted outside the home, not in the home. So when a parent's home, they're, they're basically kind of an empty shell. They're a bystander to what's really going on in their house and in their kids' lives. They're parents that are on hand, but not on board. They don't really know what's happening in their house. 
In fact, they're so out of touch with their own inner feelings, it is not possible to be connected at a deep level with their children because they don't even know what's going on in their world. They, they can't know what's going on with their kids. You become passive. You become an onlooker. And so many of us would go, oh, yeah, I know. I know phantom parents. Maybe you had a phantom parent. Maybe you fear today you're becoming that parent. But I want to tell you, abandonment, toxic. It's toxic. All you have to do is look at David and Absalom to, to see... And from what I can tell in Scripture, David was early in his career when Absalom's born. And David's climbing the ladder, so to speak. It is those days when he is pushing the throttle. He is working from dusk to dawn. He's building his staff. He's reorganizing the military. He's trying to get the economy on track for Israel. And so David is working hard. And you get the impression from Scripture, when you read the story, that Absalom, David's son, didn't even make the top ten list for David. And the results here, they're pretty predictable because Absalom begins to feel devalued, unappreciated, unloved, unlovely. He winds up feeling abandoned And this wasn't just something that was in his son's head. At one point in Scripture, you you find out that Absalom actually is moved to another city. David didn't notice it for three years. And and if he did, it's not recorded in Scripture. Finally, a, a trusted friend of David leans into him and says, David... You ought to send word to Absalom. You ought to have him come back home here. I I know what you're doing, David, is important. I know you're building this country. I know you're leading this country. But this is your son. David listens to his advisor. And he sends word to Absalom. He says, come back home, son. Absalom receives the message now. He's fired up. Can you imagine what's going on in his head? Maybe. Maybe this time it'll be different. Maybe dad's going to show interest in me now. And so he agrees. He comes back to Jerusalem. Upon entering the city, he finds out he's not going to be staying in the palace. In fact, they've set up a private quarters for him. Absalom's crushed. Figures. That's how it always is. And with a very solemn spirit, he sits and he waits patiently for his father. Now I want to ask you, how long do you think he had to wait? 2 Samuel 14, 28 says, two years Think about that. The anger, the resentment is building. It's growing. Every single day for 24 months, it is building inside him. And finally, the young man can't stand it anymore. 
he goes to David's uh, appointment secretary. He says, I want to see my father. No response. Can't even get an appointment. It kind of redefines abandonment at this point. It puts Absalom on, on tilt. He, he goes, he hires some friends. He sets fire to the fields of, of the secretary. He destroys the entire harvest. Secretary confronts David. It's like, why are you doing this? I want an appointment with my father. Catches a hint. Schedules the appointment. Absalom's been gone for three years. He waited in the private quarters for two years. It's the first time he's been together with his father to have a real conversation. And friends, by then it's too late. The damage caused is not going to be easily fixed. In fact, I would argue that the stage has now been set for a lifetime of heartache between a son and his father. And I just want to pause there. I want to talk to parents, especially men. Phantom parenting comes with a high price tag. If you bring a son or daughter into this world, you have got to be involved in their life. You have got to be involved so you can lead, so you can influence, so you can make a difference. You have to be with them. You have to be with them physically. You have to be with them emotionally. You have to learn how to pull stuff out of them. You have to learn how to talk about feelings, not just information. You have to be present relationally. You need to know what's going on in their life in every area. You need to know what's going on in their life spiritually. You need to engage. You need to tune in. You need to love them. You need to support them. You need to encourage them, which means you need to be there. You know, child development experts tell us that the critical window in the lives of children is from infancy till they're about 10. What happens in that 10-year season sets a child up for a lifetime of blessings or a lifetime of brokenness. Now, beyond the 10 years, that stuff's important too, okay? But we're talking about the decade of destiny. And I know as parents, you feel like you're pulled in a dozen different directions with your time and your energy and your leadership. You feel like there's not enough hours in the day to get the stuff done that needs to be done. But I want to give us perspective because if you look at the whole life of someone, the life expectancy is 70 years plus. If you do the math, those first 10 years, one-seventh of their life If we set that as a priority, you set a child up for a lifetime of wholeness. What kind of price tag are you going to put on that one? Even even if it means that you climb that career ladder a little bit slower. Even if it means that you scale down. In your life, even if it means you shift your priorities for a season, 
You know, perhaps it's difficult to talk to your children on an emotional level. Maybe you're not good at it. We'll start reading. Reading books on how to talk to your children. You know, attend parenting seminars. Go, go to a qualified Christian counselor that can help you figure out what's going on in their emotional world. Whatever it takes, we should be willing to do so that we can communicate effectively, so that we can get involved in our kids' lives. You know, I am always encouraged at Faith Fellowship because I know many families that are seriously involved in their kids' lives, that spend time with their kids on a regular basis. I know families in this church that have family night. You know, they have game night. They, they have date night or night, uh, a date day where mom or, mom or dad take one kid at a time and they spend time alone with them. And they just talk. Can, can you imagine what, what's happening there at that table? I know families in this church that do weekend getaways with each of their kids. Once a year, they just go away and they do something. Parents like that, you're blessing your children. As a church, when we see parents like that, you need to say, you know what, you're doing it right. When you see parents that are involved in their kids' lives, that are spending time with their kids, that are loving their kids, you should go up to them and say, good job, mom. Good job, dad. Keep it up. Honor parents like that. Now back to David and Absalom. Abandonment caused a problem, but also cowardness caused a problem. In fact, it was part of the demise of David and Absalom. We're talking good old-fashioned, no-guts, cowardness. Early Absalom's life, his sister, Tamar, she's raped by their half-brother. Right under David's nose. Absalom fully believed that David would bring full justice to bear in the situation. Guess what David did? When he learns about it, he expresses some displeasure about it. But there is no record in Scripture that he did anything. Maybe, maybe David was just tired. He was too tired to deal with it when he got home. Maybe. But when I read the scriptures, all indications are that David just swept it under the rug and looked the other way. Absalom couldn't believe it. David, the giant slayer. David, this great warrior in the battlefield. David, the commander-in-chief of the military of Israel. David used all of his courage out in the world. And when David was at home, he expressed kind of a passivity. Absalom, his anger multiplied until finally he defended his sister's honor. 
He killed his half-brother. Dad's not going to deal with it. I'll get the job done. Friends, that is the kind of watershed event that marked the relationship of Absalom and David. Adding cowardness to abandonment, kind of like taking a match and adding gasoline. When Absalom realized that his father wasn't going to deal with all the matters, when he realized he was a coward at home, Absalom decided to push his luck. Scripture tells us that he decided to go after his father. He decided that he would undermine his father, what meant the most to his father, and that was the throne. And here's what Absalom did. It's recorded in 2 Samuel. Yeah, I encourage you. It's a, it's a good read. But he went to the entrance of the city every day for four years. Every day he stood at the gate and anyone and everyone that would listen to him at the gate, he would tell them his, his father's a coward. He'd say, my, my father's self-absorbed. He's self-aggrandizing. And he needs to be replaced. Guess who he thinks needs to replace him? Absalom. In fact, Scripture says, Verse 6, it says, Absalom stole the heart of the people of Israel. Four years at that gate. Undermining his father's authority. Betting the farm that his dad wouldn't have the guts to stand up to him. And the boy bet right. David walked through those gates every single day on a regular basis. David knew firsthand what was going on. But David was passive. David was afraid. Maybe he was just tired. But he didn't lift a finger. And ultimately, Absalom would would organize an army. He drove David from the palace. He drove him out of the city. It is a tragic, tragic story of a father that mourns the loss of his son. And here's the question that I always just come back to when I read the story, and that is how bitter does a son have to be to spend four years trying to undermine his father's influence? to make it his job 24-7, to say to anybody that would listen to him that his father, the king's a scoundrel, that, that he needs to be disposed of. David's cowardness. It added to the bitterness here. I want to remind you as parents something very, very basic to parenting. The job of parenting means that you draw lines. It means that you create boundaries. It means you need to confront your children about unacceptable behaviors and attitudes. In fact, the book of Proverbs would tell us that if we don't do that, 
we're ruining our kids if we don't stand up as parents. Proverbs 19.18 says, Discipline your children while there's hope. Otherwise, you'll ruin their lives. Proverbs 29.17 says, Discipline your children and they will give you peace of mind and will make your heart glad. And then Proverbs 13.24 it says, If you love your children, what? You will correct them. If you don't love them, you won't correct them. That's about as simplistic as you can put it. Here's what kids wonder, and I talk to kids often. Kids wonder, deep down, they are wondering if you love them enough to draw boundaries, if you have the courage to define the limitations, to enforce those limitations. In fact, kids wonder what kind of parents they have. They wonder, will I have the kind of parent that will only provide leadership outside the home or ones that will also be courageous in the home? Now, sure, kids fuss. They'll complain about rules, regulations. They may even stomp and kick when it comes to impressing character on them. Here's what I know. Underneath, they will breathe a sigh of relief. Because inside, they're going, somebody cares enough. Somebody has the guts to go to the mat for my well-being. It takes energy. It takes courage. Now, my, my kids are 28 and 32. And they would tell you, on more than one occasion, you'd kind of hit that wall, you know what I'm talking about? And I would sit with them, or Cindy would sit with them, maybe together we'd sit with them, and the conversation is very similar. It'd be like, you know, we have tried this the gentle way. We've tried to bring correction in, in this area. We've tried the prayer route. We've tried the hey, let's go for a walk or a ride and talk it out. But I'm at my wit's end. And then we would shift. And they would tell you, I'd always go, now look at me. Look at me. I am your dad. You are the kid. And here's what's going to change. And here's what's going to happen. And I'm asking you to do it. And I'd appreciate if you would do it with a joyful heart. But if you don't do it with a joyful heart, it's okay, but you will do it. You'll just do it without joy. Make no mistake about it. I am going to win this one. Because it's important because it's vital to your character. It's vital to who God created you to be. Now, usually, after a few days, things kind of work their way out. Once in a while, it was a lengthy battle. But parents, some things are so important that they are non-negotiable. 
I have decided through the years that it is much easier to lead a church of 500 people than to parent two kids. In fact, the most difficult leadership environment that you will ever lead in is the home. Because so much is at stake. Parents, I want to challenge you today. Lead. Lead. And it starts by you loving God with all of your heart. All of it. Not part of it. All of it. Now today we have families that are taking a step to dedicate their children. This is always a special time for us as a congregation. And they're taking that step because they believe that parenting is about leading. And so we're going to stand, we're going to sing uh, a song, Salt and Light. And while we're singing, those parents, uh, go ahead and go get your children, and we're going to dedicate them following, following the song. So let's stand and sing together.